Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Ephesians 1 through 11 is where we'll, not want 9, correction 1, 9 through 11 is where we'll be today to discuss the prayer for perfected love. As many of you know, we've been talking about um, dangerous prayers and the prayers that we should be making. So many of us, I'm afraid, myself included from time to time, just we pray because it's the systematic thing to do. It's the obligation that we have. It's what the Bible tells us to do. And so our prayers end up being pretty thin, quite honestly, and producing no change because there's no conviction in what we're saying. But God has told us not only how to pray, but the condition from which we should pray, how, how we should place ourselves in prayer, and, and how we should position ourselves in prayer, both physically and spiritually. And sometimes that requires that we pray dangerous prayers. It often requires that we pray dangerous prayers. So what's a dangerous prayer? A dangerous prayer is a prayer that costs you something. It's a prayer that causes you to say, I recognize that there's something in me that isn't like it should be. God, can you show me, if I haven't recognized what that is, what that is, and show me how to fix it? Because we can only walk in Christ's likeness. We can only do what God's called us to do. We can only be what God's called us to be when we determine to submit ourselves humbly before the Lord. Amen? And that starts in prayer. And so <clears throat> we started talking about dangerous prayers and the prayers that we have to be willing to make so that we can work on us first. Because I am convinced as we started this series that we can't ask for anything to happen in our city, in our church, in our country, until it happens in us. I know that there are people in this room that watch the news or social media over the last few days, and you're wondering, why is this going on? It has to start with us. We can't fix that problem. We can fix this problem. Right? And so our responsibility is to pray those dangerous prayers. Ask God, God, what is it in me that needs to be fixed about my love? Before I go trying to show someone else your love, make sure I'm reflecting your love. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I hope, <laughs> I think, let me be pliable in the hands of God today. And so I have this card. If you don't have one, I'd recommend you get one. You can get them on the way out today. Uh, each one of them is, a, is an individual prayer for each lesson that we're teaching in this series. We started with personal revival, a prayer for humility. This week, a prayer for perfected love. Next week, a prayer for an obedient heart. And the, week, and the final week, a prayer for increased fruitfulness. You know, I had these printed before our series started, which means the series started, or the planning was done months in advance that this series would happen, and the order in which they would happen months ago. And today, because God's timing is perfect, we're talking about perfected love. When, we know, when the world has forgotten what love looks like, God's had us teach on perfected love, has us discussing perfected love. I'm glad, I'm excited that God is an on-time God, right? And so, I, I, I want to start today 
by asking the question, do we have our love right? What do we need to do to improve on our love? And I'm going to probably be less loud today than I normally am just because I, I'll be honest with you, I'm burdened in my spirit. Like I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with the hate in the world. Uh, and if I get loud, trust me, I'm getting angry, but I will not sin. All right? <laughs> uh, I hope. But we should all be burdened. Because at the end of the day, that's what the Bible tells us. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do, you'll give the enemy a foothold. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. We've allowed ourselves to move from righteous anger, because we can be angry. God is angry. We carry the character of God, right? But we can't be angry and sin. We can't allow our sin to follow us into the next day. We can't allow our anger to follow us into the next day. We have to deal with that on the day that it comes to us. Or we end up giving the devil a stronghold. Essentially what happens there is you get a bitter root. And I think bitter roots grow overnight. Amen. Because the longer they last, the less likely you are to talk about them and deal with them and get them out of the way. And so when in our, when in our perfected love we pursue God, we, it's okay to be angry. I'm speaking to current events first today, just so you know. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry over the racial injustice. It's okay to be angry over the fact that they're flipping over cop cars. And it's okay to be angry that there is a, a news report the other day that says that they're going to start sniping police officers in New York City. It's okay to be angry about that, and we should be, because that doesn't reflect the heart of God. But we shouldn't sin. And we shouldn't let the sun go down on our anger. Or the enemy's going to get a foothold in our life. So we have to work on our perfected love. Everybody say, work on our perfected love. And that's easy to say, man, and I know. But it's so hard. Because the fact of the matter is, if our love was perfect, we wouldn't sin at all. If our love was perfect, we would be exactly who Jesus Christ called us to be. But we're not. And so we still have work to do. We still have a dangerous prayer to pray. We still have things that need to be done inside of us. We need God to cut us out. Or I do. I don't know if you guys do. Some of you guys may be walking in perfect love. But I talk to most of you, so I know you'd be lying if you said it. And so we have to ask for God's help for perfected love. Regardless of what's going on around us. I want to start today with an illustration it's a, it's a lady walks into a divorce attorney's office. And she says, I want to hurt my, this is the words come out of her mouth. She said, this is, I want to hurt my husband as bad as he hurt me. I want a divorce. And I want to do whatever it is I can to make him hurt as much as he can. And the lawyer sits there for a second and says, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Hold on, let's talk about it. They started to brainstorm. He goes, I got it. I got the best idea. This is exactly what we're going to do. You're going to go home, and for two months, you're going to honor him, you're going to love him, you're going to serve him, you're going to do everything to build up his belief that you love him, and then, bam, two months from now, you're going to look at him and say, I don't even like you, I want a divorce. It'll crush him. That would crush me, right? I'm thinking I got the best two months of my, 
marriage going on, and then all of a sudden she hits me with this bombshell, that would crush me, and she thought that was a beautiful idea. So she goes back home and she does all of those things. She gets up early, she makes breakfast, she does all the stuff that he's always asked her to do. He, she honors him in front of his friends and her friends. Side note, many of you guys don't have the relationship that you want because you don't honor your husband or your wife in front of your friends. You talk about them in front of your friends, but that's something else. And so she honors him. She cooks for him. She loves him like she's supposed to love him. Two months later, the lawyer didn't see that she showed back up and calls her. She says, hey, it's been two months. When, when should I set you an appointment? She said, oh, I'm not getting a divorce. And he said, what? Because he was sincerely thinking she was about to. He said, she said, no, I realize I actually do love him. Why do I tell this story? For two reasons. Because we are like this couple. We have a lot to learn. And the two things that we need to learn is that motion results in emotion. Some of you think you're going to wait till you love someone to do something for somebody. Let me tell you something. You've got to do something for somebody so that you can love them. Motion turns into emotion. And secondly, the ability to love it is, isn't as much about pleasure as it is pursuit. And that's here and with God. I don't feel like loving God today. doesn't matter what you feel like. I don't feel like praying today. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Because your emotion has nothing to do with your pleasure. It has everything to do with your pursuit. If you chase after God long enough, you're going to get closer to Him, and you're going to realize, just like this lady did, I'm not getting a divorce. I actually do love Him. If you do the things that you're called to do, you will actually come to a place where you realize, I actually do love Him. Because you get an appetite for the things that you eat. We've talked about this before. The longer I pray, the more I want to pray. The longer I read my Bible, the more I want to read my Bible. The more time I spend with my wife, the more time I want to read my Bible. <laughs> I'm just playing. Just make sure y'all pay attention. <laughs> I love you. And so I think you get the idea. Amen? And so I want to talk to you guys about that today. About perfect love has less to do with emotion and has more to do with Less to do with emotion and more to do with motion and pursuit. And we're going to do that today out of Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Did I tell you Ephesians earlier? It's Philippians. It's just the next book over. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> My bad. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray. Just so you know, each one of these sermons is taken from a prayer that Paul prayed over the church. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. And so I got two major points I'm going to make today. I'm going to make them not real quick, but I got two points. Number one, perfected love has the right expression. 
Perfected love has the right expression. It says this, verse 9 and halfway through 10, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. How is it supposed to abound? More and more, which means it should constantly grow. In real knowledge and on all discernment, so that you may approve the things which are excellent. And so we are called to express our love more and more. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't love them anymore. I fell out of love with them. For some reason, they've, they've convinced themselves that their love has waned cold, that they're not interested in them, and there's something else they'd rather be doing. I'll tell you more often than not, it's not anything to do with them, it's whoever they decided to chase. Because remember, love has less to do with emotion than it has more to do with pursuit. And so we have to ask ourselves, first, why has your love waned? And if your love has waned, it's probably because you haven't stopped loving. You've just stopped loving who you should be loving. That's a marriage counsel right there for somebody. If you want a hot, passionate, loving relationship with God or people or your spouse, pursue them. Because if you say, I've, I love this, and I'm being sarcastic, when people say, man, all we, we got love, that's all we need. That's all you need till you need something. And then that's not going to be enough. Because love is not going to be enough for you. You're going to have to need, you're going to need each other at some point beyond the love, the emotion that you have. And if we haven't been pursuing, then we aren't going to have that love for very long. Because we're not tending to it. We have to tend to our love so that it grows more and more and more. Regardless of whether that's spiritual or physical, we have to tend more and more that our love might abound. There's a second law of thermodynamics that says anything left to itself will ultimately cease to exist. And that's just a paraphrase. Let me actually tell you what it says. There is a natural tendency for any isolated system to degenerate into a more and more disorderly state. And so the longer something's left alone, at some point it's going to cease to exist. Everything. If you'll look at cities that used to be proud and standing tall in the ancient days are nothing but rubble and nothingness right now. Why? Because they weren't tended to. You put an apple on this floor right here, and leave it there for six months, it's not going to be anything but a stain in the carpet in six months. You put a human in the ground, six years from now, he's going to be nothing but dirt, just like the dirt he's surrounded by. Because everything left unattended comes to nothing, including the love that we have. We have to tend to the love that we have. It's not acceptable for the Christian to think that love is enough without pursuit. We have to pursue each other. We have to pursue God in the opposite order. God first, and then each other. If tended to properly, it requires work. But nobody wants to work on their love anymore. Or very, I hate to say nobody. Somebody's probably working on their love. But many people don't work on their love anymore. I'm going to read a text to you, but I want to read it a little bit differently than I've read it to you before. It hit me different. You guys ever read the same text and you all, well, that hit me different. It's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. 
Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. At the beginning of verse 8, love never fails. Dude, I preach that in every wedding I do. Every marriage, pre-marriage counseling I do, I give these verses. I'm reading them the other day, and it says, It's true that all these things are love, but none of these things exist without work. How many of you were born patient? How many of you were born kind, not jealous? How many of you have a tendency to brag and not be arrogant? We have to work on the love that we have. If this is what love is, then it requires work from us. Which is tough because I want to be self-centered. It's the natural tendency of man to be self-centered. To not love properly. To not walk in humility. To hold a, a wrong against another person. But if we put in the work, listen, this is beautiful. If we put in the work, love never fails. But we have to put in the work so that love abounds, which means grows, increases, overflows more and more in us. If you're satisfied with the love you have right now, your love, I said the same thing about learning earlier this week. But if you're satisfied with the love you have right now, the love you have right now is already obsolete. You got to push. I pray to God that you guys, and I, and I can say this about myself, like me, pursue your spouse fresh every day. But you should do that for God too. Say in a marriage counseling session, say in a marriage conference, just talk about God. We should pursue God every day so that your love for Him may abound more and more. Because everything that we have comes from the hand of God. And He provides for those that belong to Him. That's good stuff right there. So it's our, it's our expression of love. The way we chase after love the way we grow in our love that becomes significant. And in our express love, there becomes transparency and intimacy. In our express love, there becomes transparency and intimacy. So let me explain what I mean. Intimacy grows from transparency. The more I love Angela, and I'm going to use Angela a lot here because she's the closest thing to a physical grasping ability that I have of a physical love that I can actually touch. And so uh, just, just know that I'm using Angela to ultimately parallel the love that God has for us, only it's better. So the love that God has for us, I mean. And so I would ask you a question. Who is the person you're most intimate with? If your love bounds more and more, then you've grown in intimacy. Who is the person you're most intimate with? And I don't want you to yell out the answer, but I just want you to get that picture in your head. I would dare say the person you're most intimate with is also the person you're most transparent with. Angela knows stuff about me nobody else in this room knows. Angela knows stuff about me after 14 years. 
after 14 years that nobody on this earth knows about me, including my own mama. You know why? Because transparency grows out of intimacy. Why is this important to us? In perfected love? Because unless you're willing to be transparent with God, you can't be intimate with God. God already knows who you are. He already knows what you've done. What he's waiting on you to do is acknowledge who you are and what you've done. You know, I talked last week about the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ and how every believer will have to give an account for everything that he's said and done. It's, it's not an eternal judgment, judgment, but it's a fruits judgment, right? This is a, a reward. You're going to be rewarded based on what you've said and what you've done. Your fruitfulness, essentially. And how that freaks the Christian out. Like, I've never heard anybody talk about that in any other way than it freaks them out. But like I said last week, I don't think it should freak us out. I think it should, it should excite us. And here's why. Because once I actually verbalize, and if he asks me, I've, I'm absolutely convinced that I'll be provoked to verbalize everything I've ever done. I don't, I don't think I'll have the ability to hide anything from him. Matter of fact, I know we'll never have the ability to hide anything from him in his presence, right? And so as I began to tell him, I did this, I said this, I said this, I did this, I said this, I did this. At the end of that, there's going to be complete transparency. And in that complete transparency, there will be an intimacy like we've never known. Isn't I can't wait for that. You know, this tangible... I feel the love that we talk about here on earth. You guys ever just love someone so much you, you could just, it almost wrap you like a blanket. Like you just knew that that person loved you or that you loved that person. Imagine that, but coming from the hand and the heart of a perfect God surrounding you for all of eternity. Why does that happen? Why, do you, why does that love exist? How can that love exist? That love can only exist in intimacy. And in intimacy, transparency. And so when we pray for perfected love, we have to pray for intimacy. We have to be transparent with God. We have to tell him what we need, what we expect, what, we, what, what hurts our feelings. You know, I, I teach a class on Saturday afternoons, and I told them, I said, sometimes I look at the Bible and be like, I don't even like that. I want that out of there right now. Like I, this, this, this piece right here, man, if I could take this piece out right here, I would, I would redact this part of my Bible. You know why I say that? Because I'm struggling there. Because I've not allowed myself to become completely transparent there. Because I haven't walked in intimacy with God in, in that area. If we're going to be people of God, we better accept the Word of God, all the Word of God, and say, God, I believe what you're saying. I know that my love bounds and abounds more and more, and I want to be as transparent as possible. Where this thing challenges me, this is why it challenges me, God. I don't like it, but can I tell you I have done such and such and such and such and such and such. Will you take that out of me? This is how our love abounds more and more. This is how transparency happens more and more. Your heart grows bitter in darkness, not in the light. If you want a perfected love, you better come out of the darkness and into the light because God knows what you've done anyway. He's just waiting on you to love Him enough to admit that you've done it. Am I talking to anybody today? 
I talk it to me. I don't. I guess I just. But we have to be transparent because transparency builds intimacy, and in intimacy there is increased knowledge and discernment. All this according to nine and the first part of ten. God reveals Himself to those He trusts intimately. Because it says, knowledge and discernment. How do we get knowledge and discernment? Be worthy of knowledge and discernment. We're intimate. And then therefore, she tells me stuff about her that no one else knows. Now I have a knowledge of her I didn't have and the ability to discern what she wants from me. The more intimate I am with God, the greater my knowledge of Him grows and the more familiar I am with what he needs from me. That, that convicts me a little bit. You know why? Because I'm not always intimate with God like I should be. And we see this over and over and over again. We talked about the transfiguration last week. How God removed Judas, Jesus removed Judas from the Last Supper before he, he gave his final discourse, before he revealed he was going to heaven. But you see it through all the scripture. You see it with Moses. He told Moses stuff he wasn't telling anybody else. He told Abraham stuff he wasn't telling everybody else. He told every one of the prophets, major and minor, stuff he wasn't telling everybody else. He told David stuff he wasn't telling everybody else. You know why? Because they were intimate in a way that no one else was. People say, man, I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could pray like you, or I wish I could read my Bible and see what you see. You can. Stop telling me that. Instead, come up and ask me, can you help me see what you see in the Bible? Can you help me pray? Because you can. You just have to be willing to be intimate and transparent with God so that you can get knowledge and discernment. But this only happens going all the way to the back when we allow our love for Him to abound more and more. It's all about our love for Him. It's actually all about His love for us. Because without His love for us, we wouldn't be able to love Him. So it's all about our response to the perfected love He gives us if we expect to have perfected love. Amen? Mm. And when we do this, When we allow ourselves to be intimate, when God gives us knowledge and discernment, then we can know what is excellent. Romans 12.2 says this, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That's the knowledge and discernment, which is good and acceptable and perfect, which is excellent. time that we stop playing church i've said it i told you guys since the beginning of the year this is this has been the conviction of my soul it's time for us to stop playing church god deserves more from us god expects more from us he gave his son jesus christ to die for us so that we could have a perfected love so that we could walk in intimacy with him so that we could be transparent with him so that our love abounds more and more so that we can have knowledge and discernment to know what he expects of us 
so that we can be excellent. So that we can be excellent. And so that others might see excellence in us. And in seeing excellence in us, want to know where that excellence came from. But it can't happen if we sit in here looking righteous and walk out there and act like fools. Because the Bible says nobody's following a fool, right? Blind leads the blind. Number two, perfected love has the right focus. Perfected love has the right focus. The first point was the right expression. Verse 10b and 11 talks about the right focus. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So let's just talk about what our love should be focused on. Let's talk about love's focus, not just ours. First off, God's love is focused on people. Did you know God loved you? Did you know that? A couple of y'all said amen. But a couple of y'all said amen and just lied to me. Because you don't know. You've given lip service so long, at the surface you say, yeah, I know. But you don't. Because you're still walking around letting someone else convince you of who you are instead of letting God convince you of who you are based on the love that He has for you. God loves you and wants you to act as though the supreme, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God loves you. We should walk like that. We should be convinced like that. We should not be afraid like that. Why would we... That wasn't me speaking in tongues. I just lost control of my mouth for a minute. So maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> but we get so super excited about love, but do we not understand that God is right here, right now? And if He's right here, right now, and He loves us and something comes against us, He created all things. He's powerful enough to stop whatever that is. He's powerful enough to give us discernment that that's coming so we never stand in front of that in the first place. God's love is focused on people. I need you first to understand that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And I'm not saying God loves us. I'm saying God loves you, Mr. Lowe. Miss Susan. Trent. Everybody over here. Well, everybody over here too, but we need to personalize the love that God has for us and recognize that His love is focused on people. He, he created us to fellowship with Him. Did you know that? We were born into a perfect environment, breathed as it were, into a perfect environment so that that which is perfect could be with us. He looked at us and said, that is good. And, it, and based on the text, it, it's, it appears as though he walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden, unseparated from them, until we messed it up. But you know what? Because he loves us, what's the very first thing that he did? He covered up their nakedness. He ensured that something was killed, that blood was shed, 
that they might have their nakedness, their sinfulness covered. He redeemed them. And although their relationship was never the same, he created a plan for their redemption eternally. He created a plan in the Old Testament for eternal redemption. He created a plan and manifested that plan through Christ Jesus in the New Testament. Why? Because God's love has always been focused on people. This is the storyline of Scripture. We fell from grace, and God is doing everything He can to put us back into that place of perfection. He's determined to make our end look like our beginning. That's it's amazing. It's amazing, not because he's doing it. He has the ability to do it. He could honestly do it just like that. He created the whole universe just like that. Where it becomes amazing is because he wanted to. Because he loves you. He didn't have to. God's love is focused on you. People's love should be focused on God and people. If God's love's focused on us and the Spirit of God is in us, then the Bible asks the question, what is the greatest commandment? And what is it? It's that we are to love God, right? With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This according to Mark 12, 30 and 31. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty simple point I think I'm making there. That our love is to be focused on God and people in that order. Because we can't love people unless we love God. Because we don't know what love is until we know God. Because God is love. But I don't know if you know this. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are to love God with everything that we are. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Nothing is to be excluded from God, from our love for God. We should give our whole life to loving God. We should have the heart of David towards loving God. I want to give you a, a Psalm um, 63, 1 and 2. I just want you to listen to the words. They're so beautiful. Oh God... You are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. When was the last time you sought God earnestly? I'm not talking about flippantly when you've got a little extra minute or so, but you got on your face or just humbled yourself wherever you were and sought earnestly the face of God. He said, my soul thirsts for you. You ever wanted something so bad you couldn't think of anything else? I have. God should be that to us. And then he carries on. He says, my flesh yearns for you. So not only was he inwardly struggling, trying to reach out to God with everything that he was, but his flesh followed suit. This is how we should love God. With everything inside of us and everything outside of us. And he says, in a dry and weary land, which is where we're living right now with no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. 
to see your power and your glory. Our desire should be to see him, to seek him internally and externally so that we might ultimately see his glory. This is how we should see God. This is love focused properly towards God. But we should also have a love focused properly towards people. The Bible says in that second verse, and love your neighbor as yourself. But did you know in John 13, 34, which would have been after Jesus said this, well, certainly after it was first stated in the Old Testament, John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And, I, and when you read that, you're all, how's that a new commandment? He's been saying that since back in the day, right? Because he doesn't say here, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, a new commandment I give you, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Nobody loves themselves perfectly, but Jesus loved us perfectly. And so we, the new commandment is to love our neighbor perfectly as Christ loves us. Which means sacrificially. It means by giving everything that we have to them. For them. Because of them. That's what Jesus did. Came down from heaven, right? If he came down from heaven and did all the stuff that he can do, surely we can walk across the street, knock on our neighbor's door and, and tell them, hi, or we love you, or I challenge you, just bring them Miss Susan's dozen cookies because if you ever bring miss susan's dozen cookies to anybody they're going to be your friend forever but we should reach out for the people anybody in here ever received cookies from the church y'all know what i'm talking about those came from miss susan she's i think most of them right 97 most of them anyway it's a generality my point is we are to love one another according to the new commandment can I tell you I don't love myself as well as I should? I'm down on myself sometimes. I sin. I do things I shouldn't do. That's not perfect love. But Christ loved us perfectly. And so we've been given a new commandment to focus our love correctly on God and on people because that's how God loves us. And then finally... If God loves us and we are to love God first and then people, then our love must also be focused for the purpose of God's glory. That's what this text says. I've said it a thousand times. Scripture says it probably more than that. And if it doesn't directly say it, it, it alludes to it. Everything God does, God does for his own glory. So that the na his name may be bigger. So that he might be given the full weight and majesty of who he is through what he has created. And that's our responsibility. Is to focus our love in such a way that God's glory is seen, expressed. That his holiness is expressed through us. It means we are to go publicly with God's holiness. There's a challenge, right? 
Wait a minute, what? Let me say that again. We are supposed to go publicly with God's holiness. Which means every time that we act unlike God, we're showing them, after telling them that we're Christian, that that's not what God looks like. God looks like this. No wonder God's so mad about sin. Because every time we sin, after telling somebody we're a Christian, we're saying this is what God looks like, and we're misrepresenting the perfect, holy character of God. Not that we have the ability to minimize God's true glory, but we have the ability to minimize it in the eyes of the people around us. Well, that's a heavy weight, isn't it, Clay? We have to take responsibility for the fact that God's glory lives in us and should flow through us. Proper love reflects the glory of God. So let me ask you this question. What does your love look like? Is it perfect? Mine's not. What I do over here most of the time is my own private business. But I wept over here the whole time we were worshiping. And I don't do that here. Very often. I've been praying the last six months. God, teach me to cry again. And, and I don't want to be a guy that cries all the time. But I, I want to be at a place where I'm sincerely broken before the Lord, where I still see the magnitude of who He is. Because, you know, the more that we stay in the Word, the more that we hear things, the more familiar we become with Him, the less passionate we become. So God, teach me to cry again. God, God let me cry today. But He let me cry today by showing me how perfect his love is in contrast to mine. He let me cry today at my own shame. Which is probably a pretty good place to start crying. And so I would ask you today, what does your love look like? And if it doesn't look like the love that God has for you, and the love that Christ sacrificed for you, you need to pray for a perfected love, one that grows more and more. Amen? And so I don't know where you are. If you're like me, and you know you haven't got it right, and that you're not loving the way that you should, I want to pray for you today. I want you to stand right where you are. Because God can do something in us. But we have to believe that God can do something in us. And we have to want what God wants to do in us. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you show us what perfected love looks like. God, we recognize that we fall way, way short of that. But we know that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we have the ability to walk in Christ's likeness, to have that perfected love, to, to think and move in that perfected love, 
to come to a place where we say, I don't even want to divorce anymore. I actually do love him. Teach us, God. Break us. Show us how to love you the way you deserve to be loved, to honor you, to work for you, to work alongside of you. Teach us, Heavenly Father, that perfected love has nothing to do with us and everything to do with what can be done through us when we get it right. But that we can only get it right through you. God, I pray a, a refreshed pouring out of the Holy Spirit on this room today. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you pour out an anointing that is so powerful on your people that they glow with the magnificent glory of who you are. God, we praise you for your presence. We acknowledge that no change could be made were it not for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we stand in awe. We walk boldly and confidently. We declare in Jesus' name that perfected love is what we will walk in. But Heavenly Father, we ask that you continue to fan into flame that gift that you've been given to us so that we can keep pushing, that our love doesn't wane, that it doesn't grow cold. Let us burn hot with a thousand fires, God. Let us just set us on fire that people might come watch us burn so that in watching us burn, we could tell them about you. God, perfect our love. I know that you will. I thank you that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.